0: No people ever went to sea better fitted out for the purpose of natural history, nor more elegantly. They have got a fine library of natural history. They have all sorts of machines for catching and preserving insects, all kinds of nets, trawls, drags and hooks for coral fishing. They have even a curious contrivance of a telescope by which Put into the water, you can see the bottom to a great depth where it is clear. They have many cases of bottles with ground stoppers of several sizes to preserve animals in spirits. They have the several sorts of salts to surround the seeds and wax, both beeswax and that of Mirica. Besides, there are many people whose sole business is to attend them for this very purpose. They have two painters and draughtsmen, several volunteers who have a tolerable notion of natural history. In short, Solander assured me this expedition would cost Mr. Banks 10,000 pounds.
1: extracts from Herman Sporing's journal from August 1768
2: onwards Thursday, 25th of August, 1768 We go on board His Majesty's ship Endeavour Tuesday, the 13th of September. Arrival at the island of Madeira. Thursday, the 19th of September. Departure from Funchal, Madeira. Sunday, the 13th of November. Arrival at Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Monday, the 14th of November. The Viceroy grants a permit for disembarkation only to the captain and some members of the crew. Sojourn on board. December. Departure from Rio de Janeiro. Friday, the 23rd of December. Eclipse of the moon. Monday, the 16th of January, 1769. Captain Cook orders the anchor dropped in the Bay of Good Hope. Tuesday, 17th of January. On shore, exploring the surroundings with the escort of Mr. Banks and Dr. Solander. Mr. Banks, two Blackamoor servants perish with cold on our way back. Thursday, 20th of January. Endeavour weighs anchor.
1: Due to winds and currents, Tahiti became a popular shelter and resting place for seafaring men in the end of the 18th century. It was used by British, French, Spaniards and Dutch navigators. Tahitians quickly learned what sailors desired and what they had to offer. Frenchman Louis-Antoine Bougainville stayed at Tahiti only for 10 days. But during this time, the Tahitians made an indelible impression on him. Bougainville portrayed the island as an earthly paradise and named it Nouvelle-Cidère. Cidère was an island where Aphrodite, the goddess of love, known by the Romans as Venus, was born.
2: Tuesday, the 4th of April. Land in sight. Tuesday, the 11th of April. King George III's island, also known as Otaheite, can be seen on the horizon.
0: As we came nearer the shore, the number of islanders surrounding our ships increased. The Periaguas were so numerous all about the ships that we had much to do to warp in amidst the crowd of boats and the noise. All these people came crying out, Teo, which means friend, and gave a thousand signs of friendship. They all asked nails and earrings of us. The Periaguas were full of females who, for agreeable features, are not inferior to most European women and who, in point of beauty of the body, might, with much reason, vie with them all. Most of these fair females were naked, for the men and the old women that accompanied them had stripped them of the garments which they generally dressed themselves in. The glances which they gave us from their periaguas seemed to discover some degree of uneasiness, notwithstanding the innocent manner in which they were given. Perhaps because nature has everywhere embellished their sex with natural timidity, or because even in those countries where the ease of the golden age is still in use, women seem least to desire what they most wished for. The men, who were more plain or rather more free, soon explained their meaning very clearly. They pressed us to choose a woman and to come on shore with her and their gestures, which were nothing less than equivocal, denoted in what manner we should form an acquaintance with her. It was very difficult amidst such a sight to keep at their work young sailors who had seen no women for six months. In spite of all our precautions, a young girl came on board and placed herself upon the quarter-deck near one of the hatchways, which was open in order to give air to those who were heaving at the capstan below it. The girl carelessly dropped a cloth, which covered her, and appeared to the eyes of all beholders, such as Venus showed herself to the Phrygian Shepherd, having indeed the celestial form of that goddess. Both sailors and soldiers endeavoured to come to the hatchway, and the capstan was never hove with more alacrity than on this occasion.
2: Sunday, the 16th of April, Mr. Buchan, the landscape and portrait painter, is having an epileptic seizure. Sunday, the 17th of April, Mr. Bucken has died, he was buried at sea.
1: Hermann Sporing was born in Turku at the southwestern coast of Finland in 1733. His father was a professor of medicine in Turku Academy. Sporing studied at the academy during the years 1748 to 53. In 1753, at the age of 20, he moved to Sweden where he studied natural history with Carl von Linné. At some point, Sporing moved to London where he acquired the qualifications of a watchmaker. In London, he worked as a correspondent and later as a secretary to Dr. Daniel Salander. Probably Salander's recommendation made it possible for Sporing to join Mr Banks' scientific expedition on Captain Cook's first journey on Endeavour.
0: Monday, 1st of May. This afternoon we set up the observatory and took the astronomical quadrant ashore for the first time, together with some other instruments. The fort being now finished and made as tenable as the time, nature and situation of the ground and materials we had to work upon would admit of. The north and south parts consisted of a bank of earth, four and a half feet high on the inside, and a ditch without, ten feet broad and six feet deep. On the west side, facing the bay, a bank of earth four feet high, and palisades upon that, but no ditch, the works being at high water mark. On the east side, upon the bank of the river, was placed a double row of casks. And as this was the weakest side, the two four-pounders were planted there. And the hull was defended besides these two guns with six swivels and generally about 45 men with small arms, including the officers and gentlemen who resided ashore. I now thought myself perfectly secure from anything these people could attempt. Tuesday, 2nd of May. This morning, about 9 o'clock, when Mr Green and I went to set up the quadrant, it was not to be found. It had never been taken out of the packing case, which was about 18 inches square, since it came from Mr Bird the Maker, and the hole was pretty heavy, so that it was a matter of astonishment to us all how it could be taken away as a sentinel stood the whole night within five yards of the door of the tent where it was put, together with several other instruments. But none of them was missing but this.
2: Tuesday, 2nd of May. The astronomical quadrant has been stolen. Wednesday, the 3rd of May. The quadrant has been recovered, but indeed it is broken. Mr Banks has requested that I should try to repair it.
0: Sunday, 14th of May. This day we performed divine service in one of the tents in the fort where several of the natives attended and behaved with great decency the whole time. This day closed with an odd scene at the gate of the fort, where a young fellow above six feet high lay with a little girl about 10 or 12 years of age, publicly, before several of our people and number of the natives What makes me mention this is because it appeared to be done more from custom than lewdness. For there were several women present, particularly Oberia, and several others of the better sort, and these were so far from showing the least disapprobation that they instructed the girl how she should act her part, who, young as she was, did not seem to want it. Sunday the 21st of May. The relations between crew and natives create constantly new problems. The latest revelation is that many iron nails have been taken from the ship by the sailors. Nails have been used to secure services of love from the natives. It seems obvious that they have no knowledge of metals of any kind. I have emphasized the graveness of the nail thefts, especially to those on guard duty. Saturday, 3rd of June. This day proved as favorable to our purpose as we could wish. Not a cloud was to be seen the whole day and the air was perfectly clear so that we had every advantage we could desire in observing the whole of the passage of the planet Venus over the sun disk. We very distinctly saw an atmosphere, or dusky shade, round the body of the planet, which very much disturbed the times of the contacts, particularly the two internal ones. Dr. Solander observed as well as Mr. Green and myself and we differed from one another in observing the times of the contacts much more than could be expected. Mr. Green's telescope and mine were of the same magnifying power, but that of the doctor was greater than ours. It was nearly calm the whole day, and the temperature was hotter than ever before on the island. Sunday, 4th of June, punished Archibald Wolfe with two dozen lashes for theft, having broken into one of the storerooms and stolen from thence a large quantity of spiked nails. Some few of them were found upon him. This evening the gentleman that was sent to observe the transit of Venus returned with success. Those that were sent to York Island were well received by the natives. That island appeared to them not to be very fruitful.
1: Additional instructions for Lieutenant James Cook appointed to command His Majesty's Bark the Endeavour. Whereas there is reason to imagine that a continent of land of great extent may be found to the southward of the tract lately made by Captain Wallace, in His Majesty's ship, the Dolphin, of which you will herewith with receive a copy, or of the tract of any former navigators in pursuits of the like kind. You are therefore in pursuance of His Majesty's pleasure, hereby required and directed to put to sea with the bark you command, so soon as the observation of the transit of the planet of Venus shall be finished, and observe the following instructions. You are to proceed to the southward in order to make discovery of the continent above mentioned, until you arrive in the latitude of 40 degrees, unless you sooner fall in with it. But not having discovered it or any evident signs of it in that run, you are to proceed in search of it to the westward between the latitude before mentioned and the latitude of 35 degrees until you discover it, or fall in with the eastern side of the land, discovered by Tasman and now called New Zealand. If you discover the continent above mentioned, either in your run to the southward or to the westward as above directed, you are to employ yourself diligently in exploring as great an extent of the coast as you can. Carefully observing the true situation thereof both in latitude and longitude, the variation of the needle, bearings of headlands, height, direction and course of the tides and currents, depths and soundings of the sea, shoals, rocks, and also surveying and making charts, and taking views of such bays, harbours, and parts of the coast as may be useful to navigation. You are also carefully to observe the nature of the soil and the products thereof the beasts and fowls that inhabit or frequent it, the fishes that are to be found in the rivers or upon the coast and in what plenty. And in case you find any mines, minerals or valuable stones, you are to bring home specimens of each, as also such specimens of the seeds of the trees, fruits and grains, as you may be able to collect, and transmit them to our secretary, that we may cause proper examination and experiments to be made of them. You are likewise to observe the genius, temper, disposition and number of the natives, if there be any, and endeavour by all proper means to cultivate a friendship and alliance with them, making them presents of such trifles as they may value, inviting them to traffic and showing them every kind of civility and regard. Taking care, however, not to suffer yourself to be surprised by them, but to be always upon your guard against any accident, You are also with the consent of the natives to take possession of convenient situations in the country in the name of the King of Great Britain. Or if you find the country uninhabited, take possession for His Majesty by setting up proper marks and inscriptions as first discoverers and possessors.
2: Tuesday, the 15th of August. We are sailing across the Tropic of Capricorn. Wind northerly and the weather is pleasant. Friday, the 25th of August, 1769. One year has passed since our departure. The anniversary was celebrated with a huge Cheshire cheese and dark ale that proved as tasty as the ones we had savoured in England. Monday, the 28th of August. The bosun's mate is dead after drinking a full
1: bottle of rum. Mr. Joseph Banks' journal.
0: I wish that our friends in England could, by the assistance of some magical spying glass, take a peep at our situation. Dr. Solander sits at the cabin table describing, myself at my bureau, journalizing. Between us hangs a large bunch of seaweed. Upon the table lays the wood and barnacles. They would see that notwithstanding our different occupations, our lips move very often. And without being conjurers, might guess that we were talking about what we should see upon the land which there is now no doubt we shall see very soon.
1: Dr. Daniel Salander's diary.
0: Seldom was a gale so strong that it interrupted our usual time of study, which lasted from approximately eight o'clock in the morning until two o'clock in the afternoon, and from four or five o'clock when the smell of cooking had vanished. We sat together until it got dark at a big table in the cabin with our draftsman directly opposite us and showed him the manner in which the drawing should be done and also hastily made descriptions of all the natural history subjects while they were still fresh. When a longer absence from land had exhausted the supply of fresh subjects, we finished the former descriptions and added synonyms from the books that we had carried along with us. A scribe immediately inserted these completed descriptions into books in the form of florulae of each of the countries we had visited.
1: to the consideration of Captain Cook, Mr. Banks, Dr. Salander and the other gentlemen who go on the expedition on board the endeavour. To exercise the utmost patience and forbearance with respect to the natives of the several lands where the ship may touch. To check the petulance of the sailors and restrain the wanton use of firearms. To have it still in view that shedding the blood of those people is a crime of the highest nature. They are human creatures, the work of the same omnipotent author, equally under his care with the most polished European, perhaps being less offensive, more entitled to his favour. I will natural and in the strict sense of the word the legal possessors of the several regions they inhabit no european nation has a right to occupy any part of their country or settle among them without their voluntary consent conquest over such people Can give no just title because they could never be the aggressors. They may naturally and justly attempt to repel intruders whom they may apprehend are come to disturb them in the quiet possession of their country, whether that apprehension be well or (laughs) ill-founded. Therefore, should they in a hostile manner oppose a landing and kill some men in the attempt, even this would hardly justify firing among them till every other gentle method had been tried. There are many ways to convince them of the superiority of Europeans without slaying any of those poor people. For example, shalt bruise them, bruise them, And break them in pieces, like the a By shooting some of the birds or animals that are near them, showing them that a bird upon wing may be brought down by a shot. Such an appearance would strike them with amazement and awe.
2: And break them in pieces.
1: Lastly, to drive a bullet through one of their huts or knock down some conspicuous object with great shot, if any such are near the shore. And them in the Amicable signs may be made which they could not possibly mistake. Such as holding up a jug, turning it bottom upwards to show them it was empty, and then applying it to the lips in the attitude of drinking. The most stupid from such a token must immediately comprehend that drink was wanted.
0: Be wise now, be wise now,
1: kings. Opening the mouth wide, putting the fingers towards it, and then making the motion of chewing would sufficiently demonstrate a want of food.
2: Serve the Lord in fear and rejoice to him.
1: They should not at first be alarmed with the report of guns, drums, or even a trumpet. But if there are other instruments of music on board, they should be first entertained near the shore with a soft air.
2: Tuesday, the 7th of October. Land is seen to the northeast. Went ashore with Captain Cook, Gentleman Banks and Salander, and a few others. The natives behave in a threatening manner. We are able to return to the ship only after the captain orders one of the natives to be shot. Monday, the 23rd of October, Tolaga Bay.
1: Diaries and notes tell us what the explorers saw, experienced, and thought. But what were the inhabitants of the islands thinking about the strangers that had landed on their shores? What were the inhabitants of the island of Venus thinking about their guests who brought them nails and earrings? What were the Maori of Aotearoa thinking about the aliens brought to them by the sea? Late in life, Horita to who had seen it as a child recorded Captain Cook's coming to shore in Fitianga at the east coast of Aotearoa.
0: When our old men saw the ship, they said it was an Atua, a god, and the people on board were Tupua, strange beings or goblins. The ship came to anchor and the boats pulled on shore. As our old men looked at the manner in which they came on shore, the rowers pulling with their backs to the bows of the boat, the old people said, Yes, it is so. These people are goblins. Their eyes are in the back of their heads. They pull on shore with their backs to the land to which they are going. When these goblins came on shore, we, the children and women, took notice of them, but we ran away from them into the forest, and the warriors alone stayed in the presence of the goblins. But as the goblins stayed some time and did not do any evil to our braves, we came back, one by one, and gazed at them and stroked their garments with our hands, and we were pleased with the whiteness of their skin and blue eyes of some of them.
1: According to a Maori legend, the first eyewitnesses who saw Endeavour sail into the Talaga Bay, past the Purawa Island, thought that it was a floating island that had drifted into their bay.
2: Friday. The 27th of October. I spent the day on shore drawing. I saw an amazing bird that had incredibly long and showy tail feathers.
0: Wednesday, 17th of January. Soon after we landed, we met with two or three of the natives, who not long before must have been regaling themselves upon human flesh. For I got from one of them the bone of the forearm of a man or a woman, which was quite fresh, and the flesh had been but lately picked off, which they told us they had eaten. They gave us to understand that but a few days ago they had taken and killed and eaten a boat's crew of their enemies or strangers, for I believe they look upon all strangers as enemies. From what we could learn, the woman we had seen floating upon the water was in this boat and had been drowned in the fray. There was not one of us that had the least doubt that these people were cannibals. But finding this bone with part of the sinews fresh upon it was a stronger proof than any we had yet met with. And in order to be fully satisfied of the truth of what they had told us, we told one of them that it was not the bone of a man, but that of a dog. But he, with great fervency, took hold of his forearm and told us again that it was that bone. And to convince us that they had eaten the flesh, he took hold of the flesh of his own arm with his teeth and made show of eating.
2: Monday, the 30th of October. Dr. Solander has told me that Captain Cook has named the islands by the Talago Bay as Sporing Islands. These islands have been named after me, Herman Sporing the Younger.
0: We launched again. Stepping the mast and sail to make for the open sea. Stern of us, the island coastline faded. And no land showed anywhere but only sea and heaven.
1: Stepping the mast and sail. To make for the open sea. Sea and Heaven
2: Monday, the first of October, seventeen seventy. Java Head in sight. Wednesday, the 3rd of October. Dutch officials visit the ship. Monday, the 8th of October. Captain Cook confiscates all the journals and diaries of petty officers and sailors. Tuesday, the 9th of October we drop anchor in Batavia. Monday, the 12th of November. Dr. Solander's illness takes a turn for the worse. Tuesday, the 13th of November. We are moving into the country house of Mr. Banks' as Dutch host. Hopefully, the country air will help to cure Dr. Salander. Thursday, the 27th of December. We weigh anchor at last. Already seven men have perished and are buried. I myself don't feel too well either. Tuesday, 1st of January, 1771. Waiting for the trade winds. Monday, the 7th of January. I am afraid I am about to be taken ill. We are still waiting for the trade winds.
0: 25th of January, 1771, Herman Sporing dies. Thursday, the 31st of January. The trade winds come in with full force, driving away mosquitoes, melancholy and despair. We are safe. These last lines in Herman Sporing's diary were written in his honour by Joseph Banks, Esquire.
1: Full fathom five thy father lies Of his bones are coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes nothing of him that doth fade. But doth suffer a sea change. into something rich and strange. See nymphs hourly ring his knell. Hark, now I hear them ding, dong, bell. During the years, many books have been written about the Endeavour, its voyages and its crew. During the past centuries, many journals and diaries have been published about Captain Cook's first voyage. A cross-section scale model was made of Endeavour at some time in the 1980s. I am not aware whether it was a commercial kit or some hobbyist's tour de force. Maybe the model was on sale in some museum stores. I have seen a photograph of this model in a children's book about voyages of discovery. In that picture, you can see small figurines standing in front of the cross section of Endeavour. They represent the members of the scientific expedition, and the crew. Among others represented, are sailors Matthew Cox and Archibald Wolfe, the painter Alexander Buchan, the astronomer Charles Green, and the botanist Dr. Daniel Solander. Fourth from left is a figure of a stocky, bow-legged man. He is standing between a trunk and a globe. His is number three, and the text tells us that he is Herman Sporing, a naturalist. Sporing is portrayed as an old man with no neck. He is dressed in mustard-coloured pants, burgundy vest, and a coffee-coloured coat. He is leaning on a cane, and his posture is somewhat odd. On board the Endeavour, Sporing carried out many tasks. As a watchmaker, he was able to repair the quadrant that was stolen and broken by Tahitian natives. After artist Alexander Buchan died, Sporing was entrusted with a large share of the expedition's scientific drawing. When Endeavour started its voyage, Herman Sporing was 35 years old. Captain James Cook, at the age of 40, was the oldest member of the expedition. Cook named an island after Sporing, at Talaga Bay, on the east coast of New Zealand. The reason for this honour is unknown, as usually such naming was an honour that was granted only to dignitaries, or to those who had taken part in the financing and furnishing the expedition. Sporing Island can still be found on New Zealand maps at Tulaga Bay, local inhabitants know it by its old Maori name, Purua. The figure of the scale model is the only surviving representation of Hermann's boring. It was the only time that anyone has tried to depict what the draughtsman looked like.